Hi and welcome to Arrow Power. This week we're at the Arrow Technology Summit. This is Arrow's annual partner forum held in Denver. Over the next few weeks we're going to be presenting you all the panel debate sessions that occurred at ATS. You're going to hear from our practice leaders talking about security, IoT, data intelligence, cloud and next generation platforms. We hope you enjoy this Arrow Bowers production and please subscribe. So here's another provocative question because I like him. It's been, you know, I've heard the conversation, so beyond the credentials, but the vulnerabilities, so, you know, privilege escalation or, you know, attaching a command shell to a DLL, whatever, whatever your exploit vector might be at that point in time. Is there a point where you actually hold the code writer responsible? Does it force them to write better code? Because right now, if you can just write code, commit to GitHub, and you, know, you run what you run, and you get what you get, are we chasing it after the fact because it was, it's crap code? And do you think automation orchestration and the science base can actually help mitigate some of those because we can actually find the human error? I'm gonna offer Todd first, Lash, but I'm happy to jump in too. I'm gonna pass on this one, you go ahead. <laughs> so, so I think the video is still out there. It was an April Fool's video uh, put out by Microsoft um, called the Microsoft We Share Your Pain program, mm -hmm. which uh, they, they circulated internally, which is every time you know the, this sort of crash box comes up, it traces it back to the person in Microsoft who has electrodes on their seat and gets a shock. Um, I missed that, but I totally want yeah, that. Yeah, no, I will find a copy of it for you. Um, I did suggest that for our development leads, but they uh, turned it down for some reason. Um, th there's, a, there's a dangerous game that, you, that you're potentially playing, mm -hmm. right? So let, let's talk by analogy. Remember what happened to the US aircraft, private aircraft manufacturing industry, you know, in the 60s, 70s, mm -hmm. 80s, right? We almost wiped it off the face of the planet because every, every single air, um, airplane crashed, small plane that crashed, it was, you know, somebody was gonna get sued and it was usually Piper right. or Cessna. Um, and we drove those companies to, you know, uh, to bankruptcy, basically. Writing code isn't easy, and people make mistakes on a fairly regular basis. There's a difference between being irresponsible in your coding practices and having bugs in your code. I will be the first person, look, I was the first person, there you go, to put my hand up and go, I bet there are bugs in our code base, right? Sure. And I've got developers that are trained in security. Right, this is why my sales guys always get nervous when they say, oh, Richard's on stage, okay. <laughs> we need to not let him out of the lab. But um, there's a difference between, between error and you know, incompetence or reckless endangerment. So how you figure that out without suing the software industry out of existence is, is an interesting question. Um, with that said, nobody ever hired me or didn't hire me because I write more secure code than the other person I was interviewing against, right? I came up through coding. Coding is what I love to do. If mm -hmm. I ever get the chance to, you know, roll up my sleeves and actually write code, it's, it's what I do. But it's, I mean, that's a hard question. The, the, there's a difference, though, I think, between reckless, you know, like using a static encryption key, right? That's baked into the device. That doesn't change, you know? So once you've got the key, You've got all the devices. Are, are devices in IoT space done like that sometimes? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've not named any names, right? But I'm sure you've been following news stories. Um, that to me is, is a little bit reckless. You should have been able to see it coming. Versus, oh my God, it's an off by one error in array. I didn't see it. My automated software security practices didn't pick it up. That's one, 
on the former, I'd say, sure, track it down to root cause, and, you know, there should be some, some comeback. On the latter, that's sort of what it is to do business. That may have been a longer answer than you No, no, it's actually good, and... Oh, I'll, I'll try answering. Yeah. yeah okay, okay. Right. Not as good, not as good. I'll try. Yeah. But no, I mean, if, if you go ask a U.S. government cryptographer um, an algorithm, mathematical equation, can it be broken? And that's their, their first hypothesis, their first view assumption, is that every algorithm can be broken. And so I think that's kind of a, a, a mindset that we, we'd love to have in coding. I know our coders as well, there's bugs. We have to make the assumption there's gonna be bugs, there's gonna be problems in that code. But it all comes back to the risk then, it's the risk assessment. If I'm gonna implement an algorithm or I'm gonna implement a code, it's gonna depend on my business risk. If I'm in the airplane industry, I'm gonna take the time to make sure that I looked at every one of those lines of code to make sure that those wheels come down when, it's ready, when the plane's ready to land. But if I'm working in a lot of the commercial industries we're talking about, maybe I can accept a little bit more risk that that bug may you know, impact my SLA, may impact a little bit of what I'm doing operationally. But again, I put redundancy in place, I put remediation in place to be able to fix those things. And us as vendors every day get calls from the field of how we're gonna make sure that we remedy those bugs that you know, are always popping up. So I do think there's, it's a risk assessment again across, you know, you have to assume the bugs are gonna be there, the code's gonna be faulty, but it's how you deal with that and how you, you know, manage that out in the wild. And I agree, it's a, it's a slippery slope, right? Because I see it kind of, and I get it sort of, but I'll, I'll counterpoint with this, is that any 13-year-old kid, and all of us you know, can go to the Apple Street and download Swift, you can download the Visual Studio, and it's not too hard to write an app these days. And so whether it's reckless or not, it's, I, I would say there's probably also ignorance, right? Reckless is if you knew better and did it anyway, I'm gonna come kick you in the knee. If it's, you know, if it's a straight up like off by one error, I don't like totally bone something, that's fine, right? right. But if it's, hey, I, I figured out enough to build this cool little app and it does this thing, but you have no concept of secure coding or security as, a, as, a, as anything, so is it incumbent on Apple or Google or Microsoft to, to build the security into that tool set to make it easier to your earlier point? Because if we're enabling all these, or as now you've got repositories with hundreds of thousands of apps and code on GitHub, et cetera. So what if I snag that code because it does the thing I need to ensure you know, lock down position of my aircraft wheels. Do I use that because it works? And I, because coders are lazy, I don't want to reinvent the wheel, right? So at what point, because now with IT it was like, well, you know, yeah, we got breached, we lost some money, eh, that sucks, but no one's gonna die. Well, now here in that new IoT world, there, there is a propensity, you know, there's a chance now that somebody could die because, and that's a little bit dramatic, but there's some truth in that now. So I guess that's my question is, is that, it maybe it's more of a discussion over beer later, but well, I, I mean, just, just the first thought that comes to mind is looking at GitHub, just looking at the industry, the security industry, we are providing a lot of software development kits. There's companies out there that particularly focus on the developers and they are providing some pretty good software development kits. And you're right, there's always gonna be the, the kick kitty or whatever they call it that just does it themselves. Yep. But most developers today don't wanna reinvent the wheel. Right. And, and they're gonna go use what's available to them. And I think that is one of the, the positives of the security industry, that we've done a pretty good job of putting out into open source a lot of libraries these days that have been vetted mm -hmm. and, and actually are meant for developers to be able to have a starting point. And, you know, we all want to tie those libraries back into something that we could sell and monetize. But, but I, think, I think it is getting a little bit better in that case. And, cool. and you can't stop the reckless people, right? right. I mean, they could choose yep. to use it or not use yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, what you don't want to do is have a chilling effect on right. innovation in the industry, right? So, exactly. So there's always that sort of uh, challenge. And, you know, a good example would be crypto libraries, right? So some of the crypto libraries out there are pretty good. 
the reason people's crypto um, doesn't work is the way that the library was used, not mm -hmm. the library itself. And so you sort of end up chasing this. A lot of the dev kits like Visual Studio are trying to do more to bake, bake security in. The languages are trying to make it you know, you know, harder to write certain types of vulnerabilities. Mm -hmm. But they're, they're always going to exist. It comes back to the when again, mm -hmm. right? You're going to have this insecure um, application. And that's where technologies like behavioral analytics, you know, that detect that something's not right. So it's not just you get in through the door and then you can wander around and do whatever you want, which right. is how most corporate physical security bluntly works, yep. right? Once you're through that sort of pass door. Yeah, you're and uh, quick hint, if you're ever doing uh, pen testing, being on crutches works really well because everyone holds the door open for Absolutely. you. It's, a, it's the number one way I used to break into buildings back in the day. Um, with it, Legally, with it he got paid jail, for it. There was yeah, a waiver and everything. I, I had yeah, a waiver, yeah. right? All yeah. totally above board. But, <laughs> well, um, there was that one time. Yeah, well, yeah, 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 okay, right, fine. But, um, yeah, I mean, you know, it, it's just tricky. Um. So, and I, I want to leave a little bit for Q&A, so we'll, we'll finish up with this for us. Where do you see the security industry in the next five years? And where, where's, the where's the next big technology? Next big useful technology or the next big technology? Useful would be a good qualifier, yeah. Be because I have a nasty feeling that we're going to have a crop in the next two years of blockchain everything, right, in the security Whatever world. Whatever gives you that idea. And quantum uh, everything. Yeah, quantum everything and blockchain everything, yeah. right? The quantum blockchain is something that will be quite interesting. <laughs> um, you know, IoT. In fact, we should huddle afterwards, right? Found, found a quick, uh, <laughs> quick company on that one. Um, th I think the, the big useful technology will be the true embrace of analytics, right? Everything at the end of the day, <coughs> excuse me, is just a sensor or an enforcement point without analytics. Your firewall is, your DLP is, all of it is. So really embracing analytics. I know that we have it today, but we haven't embraced it. You have not seen what good analytics will do, right? I mean, you touched on it. Knowing that a device is operating in a way that it shouldn't be or is very unexpected compared to its peers. It's mm -hmm. extremely useful in this sort of buggy IoT world, right? Mm -hmm. and, and again, I, I feel deeply for the IoT developers because they're dealing with things that, you know, that crypto floor didn't exist when they built it and pushed it out, so, mm -hmm. so it's hard. Um, but uh, my guess is that it'll be analytics everywhere and we'll be fighting the next problem, which is gonna be complexity and emergence. Right, because once you have analytics controlling your systems, you start to get emergent phenomena um, in how the system operates, and that's going to be a nasty mm -hmm. problem that will keep us all in beer for the next 10 years. Good enough. Paul, what do you think? Um, I guess from my perspective, what we're seeing is this strong convergence of identity and data protection. Um, there may not be encryption data protection. It will always be there from a science perspective, but mm -hmm. it may not be a, a security product we sell. I think we're going to see that who you are what you are, what you know, um, where you are, all, all the biometrics, all those things that go around protecting the data is gonna be tied to you as an identity, as a person. And managing those identity, and then managing how that identity is working throughout a system, and how it protects the data, whatever classification, whatever layer it might be, I think is gonna be an important concept going forward. So from our perspective, um, and I hate to say it, I'm the encryption guy, right? That's, that's my business <laughs> today. But also we do see the identity and the encryption coming together, and just being this active protection wrapped around who you are. 
from the solution standpoint, do you guys see more of the alliances pieces? I mean, obviously, you know, you're more the, the network layer, you know, the enforcement points. Um, you know, obviously, you're more at the data, you know, the data layer. So, obviously, there's a good synergy between those two things. You know, and I think the, the data intelligence team talked more about that. You know, the alliances, and obviously, we're talking about that from a solution standpoint. Do you see more of that, or, or do you think it'll just end up being alliances by acquisition? That the, the big dogs will just come in and just buy stuff, or, or will you all work together in more places? There'll certainly be alliances by acquisition, but I think there'll be a lot of alliances by cooperation, too. The security problem is big enough that there's plenty to go around on the vendor side, right? Mm -hmm. So I'd much rather work with Todd, for example, than sort of try and fight Todd in the marketplace, because we can do much better to protect the customer. At the end of the day, we're, we're all on a righteous mission here, right? right? We are the good guys. We are the cavalry. Um, it's not just about business. It really is about protecting people. Yep. Yeah, and I agree. I mean, ecosystem, we will not we will not survive without ecosystem. I mean, it has to be yeah. working with that, whatever element in that stack, that security solution, or where that actually it's a user who wants to do something and we want to protect it. We need all the partners. We need that ecosystem to be successful. I mean, it's, it's core to our business today and going forward. I agree. So again, this is the second interactive part of our show. So hopefully, I want some of you to say, okay, yeah, those guys are all right, but I'm hoping there's some of you that think that we're completely full of it. And what I'd like to is, is see if there's questions out there or things that we didn't ask or that you'd like to ask us. Obviously, none of us are very serious, myself and you know, especially. Aero team, you know, those of you that are out there, what are questions that we didn't ask or where, where we missed the mark? And please don't make me call you out. In the back, who's got it? Can we get a mic back there, I guess? Or you can yell really loud, maybe. So I just, okay, good. Um, so I, I was a little bit surprised I didn't hear a little bit more about ransomware. That seemed to be the thing that hit the headlines uh, uh, quite a bit this last year. And the consequences, uh, hospitals uh, not being able to take care of patients and so forth. Um, so I'd like to hear you talk a little bit more about that. Sure, who wants to take a crack at that one? And go. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so now, I mean, ransomware is a Nuisance. Oh, I'm sorry, he's trying to find a better word than the, the sentence that was about to come out. I, I mean, I can't stand it, right? It, the trick with ransomware is that, you know, technologically, we're in a pretty good place for dealing with it, right? When you start encrypting data, you change the underlying entropy of it. It's very easy to detect that something's being encrypted. There are technologies out there on the endpoint, um, you know, that can detect in real time that something is systematically encrypting your files. I mean, if you just use something as simple as Shannon entropy, right? So, you know, there's that. Um, the, but ransomware has a pretty uh, noticeable signature when it, when it comes in because of how it tends to manipulate the data itself. Um, I think we'll continue dealing with it. Um, crypto miners actually worry me a little bit more because they use legitimate mm -hmm. sort of CPU techs, right? Yeah, and it's hard, yeah, it's harder to get around. Ran ransomware in the real world is very much a real problem, not trivializing it. Um, it's a, I would just argue it's a, it's a real-world problem where we have good technical methods for doing better mitigation. They just haven't really got into the marketplace in enough numbers yet. Yeah, I mean, ran ransomware competes with our encryption business at Gibraltar, right? They're encryptors. <laughs> They're encrypting things. We and so, um, you know, they are somewhat of a nu nuisance. Um, I, I think that uh, there are detection mechanisms. Uh, whenever we talk to companies about ransomware, it, it's more about 
again, your policy, your procedures, how you are backing up and protecting your data in other ways. Um, and it, it, did, it does come back to some aspect of training and identity, right? Who's on, again, who's on your network? What do they have access to? I mean, if you don't have access to a root disk and you're not an administrator, then you shouldn't be able to encrypt that disk. So there's, there's some policies and, and things you can put in place to make sure that you protect yourself against a ransomware attack. But, um, yeah, I guess that's... I think there was a big spike, and then obviously it got a lot of press, and so I think there was a, a rapid proliferation of education on, hey, hey, this is, you know, how do you stop this? Um, yeah, I think if you look at the, the big spike, it's in, th there's an interesting backstory, right? So, I mean, basically, um, that was a very patchable, fixable set of exploits that was being used. So there's a backstory here around getting machines patched, right, which is not an easy job for the, for the typical company. But, you know, making certain everything's running the right version of everything um, actually buys down the risk quite considerably. None of those, as far as I recall, were zero day. They were all relatively well known yeah, exploits, known exploits. Um, that, that just need to be dealt with. And then segmentation, right? Uh, a uh, corporate network shouldn't be like an M&M, you know, hard crispy shell and chocolatey goodness on the inside. Right now I'm hungry. Um, but um, there should be more monitoring of east-west. Um, you know, better visibility, and visibility that's actually turned into actionable information. I mean, one of the positive of ransomware, and it was a big spike, was we talk about our business being reactionary. I think that the knowledge that came from that really quickly blew through the industry, mm -hmm. and, and places and changes were put in place. I, and ransomware is still going to occur, right? But I think a lot of organizations have closed the, the open gaps they had in their systems originally because of what ransomware could do. So I think that was a positive for the security industry against it, that. It did force a lot of people to do what I've been telling them, like, you just patch your stuff. Yeah. You know, <laughs> unfortunately, it was a, a knock on effect of, uh, this is what we've been talking about, really bad stuff happens when you don't do that, so. I know there's more questions out there, and I know a lot of you aren't shy, so. Yeah, we promise to give the absolute unvarnished truth on yeah. whatever the question yeah. is, right? That's the guarantee. Uh, so the question is, as we see more companies embracing cloud applications, uh, are there concerns with the data moving up to the cloud, and how is that secured? Yeah, I, I don't think it came across as well. I didn't, I didn't quite parse the question. Did you? So, yeah, so I think it was okay. around as, as companies move more and more data and applications to the cloud, how, uh, how are we ensuring uh, that, that, gotcha. that cloud-borne data is currently secured. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, so go ahead. I mean, I've got well, thoughts too, but yeah. Well, the, uh, the panel before us spoke about, you know, how the big CSPs are implementing uh, key management as well as uh, data encryption within their service, within their infrastructure. So you can choose to use and trust your cloud service provider to protect the data um, from, a, again, a security profile, a posturing. A lot of folks have other methods. They bring your own key, have your own key. There's ways to give a key to the cloud service provider, but you also still have to you know, allow the cloud service provider uh, and trust them. The best way we feel to be able to protect data as it moves into the cloud is to protect it before it leaves your premise, before it leaves your perimeter. So whether that is going through a proxy, like a cloud access security broker, or any sort of proxy, whatever that might be called, or it's actually happening within the application on premise, the idea is to make sure that data is protected before it goes to the cloud service provider, then there is no need to worry about where that data goes and how it transverses. Um, there's also an audit piece of that. As you move data up to the cloud, you want to be able to audit, log it, and make sure you're tracking that data to make sure you can get it back sometime in the future. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of CASB. Um, you know, I think, 
I think CASB is a tech, that, that's pretty powerful. One of the flaws that I see when people implement CASB, by the way, is what they'll do is they'll have a different CASB vendor than their DLP vendor, so they end up with different DLP rules going out to the cloud than their data going anywhere else. And as a, you know, as a data owner, you don't really care why you lost it, you just care that you but lost it. So you've just doubled your complexity in the, in the mm -hmm. system. But yeah, CASB is an extremely effective way. And then doing analytics around what's happening in the cloud and using your CASB solution to make certain that, you know, things aren't set up so things are wide open, right? This is not an unsecure <coughs> S3 bucket. Right, which is you know a word that seems to come up in breach notifications with uh, considerable frequency. I think you know so one of those things is, is I think it's picking some level of security. You move it out to that to that cloud broker, whoever that might be, that cloud providers. Yeah, make that choice and at least you know at the very minimum, even if you don't have different PKI or something out there, use Microsoft's, use Google's, use somebody's to do that. Yeah. And, and make sure it's out there. And then I think a lot of you, you hit on it is knowing what is my data, right? And for me, and this is this is you know me as a security practitioner. So many organizations don't even know what their data is today, where it is, what it does, who actually has access to it. And now we've decided to add a hundred thousand new devices that we have no idea what normal looks like. So to your point, some sort and analytics we like to throw it around, but at least you know baseline the network, baseline servers. What is normal on a switch port? What is normal? You know what is what's supposed to be going out? Where the hell is it going, and why is it going there? You know, if you have that baseline on your own internal network before you move to the cloud, you're going to be able to see what the deviations are. Yeah, and the fun part is you'll find a bunch of business processes you just didn't know you had as soon as you start tracking data that way. And like, the first thing that happened to us is like, why do we have confidential data coming into the company? Not going out, it was, we didn't have a problem with stuff going out. We're like, well, how did it get out there to come back in? And there was a very interesting set of discussions around that. Why do I have your resume? <laughs> why is this coming into me? Got another one back here. I guess we're using the box microphone, which is a very strange thing. Yeah, this I've is, not seen that before. This is odd. Yeah, talk to the box. Sure. So you guys talked a lot about technology solutions, but how do you balance the the people or the user side of it? You know, talking about credentials, a lot of it is through through phishing or people giving their credentials. How do you balance that with the technical solutions, whether it's using the technology to override what the people's lack of education is or actually trying to educate them to do things the right way? I think I'll I think you said it earlier and, and you backed it up. It's you I think you take it away, right? Because most people don't care, right? And, and that's, not a, that's not a critique, but it, you know, a good example, and a little analogy, I'm a car guy, right? So I have a, an old 1956 Chevrolet, which I'll talk about over dinner if you want to. Very mechanical, it's got a carburetor, I rewired the entire car, right? My wife's new car, you know, 2014 Kia Sorento. My wife could care less about how all that crap works, right? She just wants to get in her car, hit the key, and drive the stupid thing. She could care less about how it works. I think in our industry, the users don't care. So I think it, you know, it's removing usernames and passwords. It's moving to a new thing. It's making 2FA just a, a way of just the way it does things. I think we actually don't have to educate the user. I think, it, in my opinion, it becomes so baked in that it's just there. I, I agree. It, it just happens, as we talked about earlier. And Richard talked about behavioral analytics moving that way. So users are going to do stupid things, silly things. Having something active within your system that's looking at that, looking at the behavior of maybe that person, but at the data itself. I had mentioned earlier, you know, maybe some emerging technologies around AI and machine learning that even though a user may say this data is critical to them, 
once you look at that data, you realize it's not that critical. Something else might be more critical to them. So it's, it is behind the scenes. You're going to see, I think, more automation happening behind the scenes, more active things happening based on analytics to make sure that data really is being protected the way that an organization wants it to be protected. Yeah, cha changing users is hard, right? I mean, it, it's just a hard battle. I mean, it's an important thing that, that you try and educate for people to be, again, safer online. But it's an uphill struggle, because in the heat of the moment, you don't care about um, security, you care about getting it done, right? If you remember when the DOD turned off USB drives, some of you were probably in the military at that point, um, there was a massive spike in people trying to upload classified documents to the internet so they could move it from point A to point B for legitimate purposes. But nature will find a way, right? So I think our job is to let users be users and embrace them, right, rather than blame them for doing that and just try and make them safer as, as they do it, which is hard. Got time for a couple more. So, um, I have a question about uh, blockchain. As you see that moving kind of from the crypto side onto more transactional things in everyday business, um, what type of risks do you see? Yeah, well, only seven minutes, 38 seconds. You guys are in trouble because I, I definitely have some opinions on blockchain. <laughs> um, for a start, it's a cool tech, right? It is. But it's being thrown at solutions that were not really designed for blockchaining. Um, blockchaining is really interesting, but I think Gartner says this, and it's one of the one of the occasions where I agree completely with Gartner. They're like, if you build anything on blockchain today, expect to completely rebuild it in two years. Because a lot of the stuff we're seeing right now is built out of proof of work, right? And that's not sustainable. Um, Bitcoin is already using the entire energy output of Iceland plus plus right now. Mm -hmm. Right, just to solve basically little Sudoku's among other things, right? For, or whatever the crypto thing is. I think it might be harder than a Sudoku, but they're pretty hard actually. But anyway, um, you know, it, it, the, the, the whole, there, there are other ways of creating uh, consensus, uh, uh, right, that are distributed that might cryptographically be much more effective. Mm -hmm. There are some, comp like hash graphs, so there, there are some competing crypto algorithms that have very interesting properties. In terms of, um, solutioning, I think, you know, we're way on that sort of vertical hype cycle. There is a pony there, right? There has to be, right, based on all the evidence. <laughs> but um, how it plays out is going to be, uh, it, it's hard to, to sort of predict on that one for me. Um, you know, I'm not a blockchain naysayer. I, I love the idea of bootstrapping trust without a trusted third party. I think that's very powerful. Um, I just think that it's such a swirl right now. So we have our C-level execs, including mine, um, challenging us, how do you use this you know, for good, right? Which is what he should be doing. That's what our execs are designed to do on the tech side of the house. How do you embrace this technology? But right now, for me, it, it's not clear. Um, there are so many solutions that you could build more cheaply with better guarantees, because you do have a trusted third party. Um, it's the ones where you don't that get really interesting. Some of the things that people haven't thought enough about, by the way, are things like the immutability of the blockchain and how that uh, might bump into the right to be forgotten and uh, some of the GDPR things. Mm -hmm. uh, we have. We've, we've been doing uh, research for a couple of years now in this space. But, um, yeah, tough. I mean, I won't talk about the emerging use cases for blockchain. Let, 
let the industry sort that out. But you know, when we view, for, for all of us, when we view blockchain, it is, it is a circle of trust. There is a security element. You have to trust as elements and information moves, and you have to be able to protect that information. So from a security community, when we think about blockchain, no matter what that use case may be, you still got to protect that information. So there's a play for security there. And a lot of the blockchains out there haven't really implemented, embedded, haven't done a good job with their security principles. And there is a place for security to be added on top of that blockchain implementation. So I do see us impacting that sort of the business today or people as people are playing around with blockchain and as it becomes more prevalent and whatever those applications are, there probably will be a play for security vendors yeah. and all of us to play there. I agree with that. Yeah, I agree. There's a place for it, but yeah, it's, it's the cool thing. Quantum blockchain is gonna be the next, Quantum next generation. Quantum blockchain, yeah, that, that's next, next that gen. tomorrow. I like right. that, I like that idea, that's cool. You, uh, you already copyrighted that one, right? Yeah. Well, guys, we're going we're gonna to go ahead and, uh, if, we, if there's no more questions, we'll wrap it up. We will be around this afternoon, but if there's other things you'd like to pull us aside for and ask, please do. I thank you both for your time. It's been fun and entertaining. I, I hope you, you guys thought it was well, useful as well. We'll be around all day. Thanks, everyone. Thanks very thank much. You. Thank you for listening to Alabama. We really hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, please subscribe and please check out our other fantastic podcasts in the Bandwidth Network. See you again next week.